Greetings to each of you in Jesus' precious name. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, how we're so thankful that we're accepted in Jesus the Beloved. Oh, how we've come to love him. And oh, our God, would thee, O blessed Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts this morning through your unworthy servant, a topic that has to be proclaimed because we confess we have lost the sense of reverence for thee. In that spirit, we pray this prayer to God be glorified. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Last week, you might remember that Pastor Bob spoke concerning how Christmas began to be celebrated on December 25th, that when the Roman Empire was declared to be a Christian empire, I guess to um, make those who are in Christian name only feel good, they decided to celebrate on the day, December 25th, which was a pagan holiday, Feast of Lights. The early church did not celebrate Christmas. In fact, America did not celebrate Christmas, Christmas until the middle of the 19th century. But now we want to focus on the king, and we want to read from Psalm 89, verses 1 to 7. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Selah means to think about that. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? And now our text. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. The wonder of it all. God, our creator, humbling himself to take upon himself humanity <clears throat> through the same birth process we all go through. No wonder when Christ was born, it was heralded by an angel and the angelic host to lowly shepherds on the Judean hillside. And the wonder of this holy time is expressed by the wise men who came a good distance, a thousand miles from Persia. They had no doubt been instructed through the writings of Daniel the prophet, and they knew that a king would come, a king would be born. And so they traveled that a thousand miles on camel through not exactly the pleasant territory, but they came because they had a desire in their heart. They saw the star, and they knew that the king was born. And so they came. And when they got there, they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And of course, the people didn't know. They had a look on the record, the scriptures. They found, yes, in Bethlehem. And so he went there. They went there. 
the, the star now appeared and guiding them to where the Christ child lay. Did they celebrate? Did they have a party? No. They fell on their faces before the Christ child. They worshiped him. And then they did not exchange gifts. They gave gifts to the Christ child. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold to typify his deity. Frankincense to typify his perfect humanity. And myrrh to typify his suffering that would take place in the years to come. But throughout my 92 years, I have seen the church more and more ape the world at this season of the year. Not only so, but I have seen a decline in the reverence shown to our glorious king, who in his humanity purchased his bride, the church, with his own precious blood. For we read in Acts 20, 28, Paul on his last trip, <coughs> his last visit with the elders of Ephesus said, you have been appointed shepherd of the flock. Now feed the church of God who he purchased with his own precious blood. And as this message unfolds, I trust you'll be able to see why I've called this message the church's greatest need. For what has happened over the years that this sin-cursed culture has had its effect upon the church in general, and consequently, there has been a diminishing of reverence shown to our glorious king. Mark it well. The God of heaven does not take lightly when those he has redeemed begin to show indifference and irreverence to the Lord who delivered them from eternal judgment. At least a hundred times, the Old Testament prophets, under inspiration of God, commanded the children of Israel to fear the Lord, to show him reverence. Like our text says, the word greatly in our text gives the intent for reverence to be abundant exceedingly in the nature we revere the majesty and high. And two times in Leviticus 19 and 30 and 26 and 2, it says, Ye shall keep my Sabbaths, reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord in capital letters, Jehovah Yahweh. Now, I'd like to refer to you how the Lord identified himself to Moses and Joshua. When Moses saw the burning bush and fear struck his heart, he heard these words, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. And when he appeared to Joshua at Gilgal, he said to Joshua, I am the captain of the Lord's host. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. All one has to do is read the book of Leviticus, wherein is revealed the awesome holiness and majesty of Jehovah. Yea, in all the Old Testament, the holiness and majesty of God is revealed in an awesome and sometimes a terrifying way. By taking upon himself humanity, the Lord Jehovah became a kinsman with us so he could become the captain of our salvation. Hebrews 2.10 says, For as much as the children took upon himself flesh and blood, he himself also took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. to rescue sinners. 
like us from eternal damnation. Does that give his people the right to lessen that awe and reverence of him which is so true in many of our churches today? The expression to fear the Lord occurs only 20 times in the New Testament, but there are other expressions. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, As you obeyed my words in my, in my presence, much more so in my absence, but work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then in 1 Peter 3, 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. And when the early church saw the awesome signs and wonders wrought by the apostles to validate their message, Acts 2.43, it says, Fear came upon every soul. And in Acts 5.11, when Ananias and Sapphira were judged to death because they lied to God, Listen to what it says, fear came upon every soul for lying to God. Great fear came upon all the church after Saul's conversion in Acts 9.31. And then the people walked in the fear of the Lord. And to show the Lord Jesus is greatly to be shown reverence. In the four gospel accounts, the Lord Jesus refers to hell or words that indicate the same no less than 40 times. 40 times he refers to hell or words like referring to it. Listen to some of the words. Matthew 8, 12. And he shall be cast out into outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 7, 13, where it says, those who enter the wide gate to go on the broad way shall enter into eternal destruction. Matthew 13, 41, he said the tares representing those who profess Christ but don't have Christ shall be put into a furnace of fire. Matthew 25, 41, <coughs> it speaks about when the Lord is judging the sheep and the goats into everlasting fire. And then in Mark 9, 43, he speaks of hell as a fire that shall never be quenched. And Mark 9, 44, a worm that dieth not. Now first, I'd like to speak about to reverence God as our creator. And I'd like to read the verses 11 and 12. The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south, thou hast created them. Herman and Herman shall rejoice in thy name. How did God create all things? He framed the worlds by the word of his power. Look at Matthew, at Psalm 33, 6 to 9 says this. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depths and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it held fast. Why did God create all things? Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy sake and for thy pleasure they are and were created. What was God's purpose for the earth? 
Isaiah 45, 18, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited with the children that bear his image. I am the Lord and there is none else. And what was God's purpose for creating man, the crown of all his creative work? Genesis 1.26 says this, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, that they may have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the animals upon the world, and over every creeping thing. In other words, God was saying, you will be my vice regent here on earth to be an extension of myself here upon earth. That's why he created man, to be an extension of his life here on earth. And when Christ saves a sinner, the redeemed are to be extension of his life here upon the earth. That people might know that we belong to Christ. To impress upon his people that he, God, is the creator of this vast universe and all things therein, no less than 120 times is this truth proclaimed throughout the Bible. And that he created all things by Christ Jesus the Lord, Ephesians 5, 9. John 1, 13 says in the 1, 1 to 3, in the beginning... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Why should we not reverence the Lord as our creator in Acts 17, 25, 28? He gives us life and breath each day, and in him we live and move and have our being. And he has given us all things richly to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Recently, I received an appeal from the National Park Service for the preservation of some 400 national parks throughout our country. And the pictures that they sent revealed awesome beauty of God's handiwork in nature. And you don't let that pass by without directing them to who created all this beautiful handiwork in nature. I remember... Uh, oh, I guess a couple of years ago, Pastor Bob and his family were out in the Rocky, uh, out in Colorado, and on one occasion they went to the Rocky Mountains, and the view was so awesome, so breathtaking. He couldn't keep it to himself. He was so filled with worship that he called me right from where he was uh, uh, watching, where he saw the beauty of God's handiwork, and he just his heart was overflowing with worship. And I know in my years that I've traveled. I've seen the Alps, the snow-peaked Alps. I've seen, rock, I've seen the, the Niagara Falls with the water rushing over and frozen. I've seen the sun come up 30,000 feet above. I've seen so many things. And whenever you see, I've seen the sun setting on the Philippine Sea many years ago. What an awesome sight that was to see the sun just gradually going down with flaming colors. And a couple of weeks ago, I saw the same flaming sun go down here uh, when I was at uh, my home. And one other thing. We take birds and squirrels and all that for granted. But there's a tree right outside my bedroom window, and it's amazing, it's amazing the acrobatic skill of a squirrel. 
They, it's just absolutely amazing to God make a creature like that. They can jump from branch to branch and they never fall. And you can't watch something like that with your heart overflowing with gratitude that God gives us so much to enjoy. Oh, we have lost taking these things for granted. How about in the springtime when things come to life and we see the beauty of the flower bursting forth and things coming to life? A picture in nature of our future resurrection. Did God give any instruction to the crown of his creation? How to live for whom he created all this beauty? Oh, that we might have the spirit of David who wrote in Psalm 119 and 73, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. For dear ones, you'll never reverence the Lord if you don't reverence his word. And right from the very beginning, that's what Moses thundered home in those early chapters of Deuteronomy. And why to pass that instruction, his word, on to the children from generation to generation. And that's what happened after the, when we were through the book of Joshua, now in Judges. What happened? After the generation of Joshua and the elders went by the boards, they went back to the old ways. Why? Because they were not instructed the word of God. The children were not instructed the word of God by the elders. Oh. The same power and authority of God's word that brought this universe into being and is upheld, it's upheld by that same authority and is the same power and authority behind the commands that God gives to the crown of all his creative work. Excuse me. The commands not to just to give, but to live by, to live by his commands. And this old sinner saved by grace, the more I understand the meaning of the word obedience to his laws who are coated with love, the more I love him and the more I want to serve him. What a wonderful God and Savior we have. But we lost sense of the reverence of his creative work. Did Israel fear God to obey his commands? Just a few. Has the church humbled itself to be, uh, uh, obey the commands of the gospel? Overall, just a few. Israel, <clears throat> the word feared in this verse is the only time it is used. In all the Old Testament, the Hebrew word meaning yure, which means to excite awe and to revere. Listen to what the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said about the people in his day. Listen to this. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will you not tremble at my presence? Which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it, and the waves thereof toss themselves, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. And you might say, what about the Tosami? And what about these other things? God can judge a nation whenever he wants to, to get our attention. Do you know what has happened in recent days? Think of 40 inches of rain coming upon Tennessee. 
Think of a, a swath of uh, 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 many miles cut through four states uh, by the tornado at this season of the year and uh, uh, putting to death over 100 people. What is that for? Are they more wicked than those who are safe? No, it's like it says in, uh, in Luke chapter 13 when he said, are the people that were martyred in the blood of the sacrifice in Galilee, were they more wicked than the others? Or the, in, in, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, where that wall fell down upon 18 killed them, were they more wicked? No, he said, but that they might repent. That's why God allows these things to happen, that we might repent. And what does it mean to repent? Acknowledge God's right to have control, sovereignty over our life. Consider the voice of the Lord pertaining to his creative work in Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The voice of the Lord thundereth. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames, meaning lightning. And dear ones, I was a boy five years old, and I'll never forget, I was sitting in the mobile at noon, and we just came back from the church. We were going to go out, and I saw from the heavens a ball of fire come down and smite the uh, maple tree on the barnyard. What an awesome sight that was. It's so awesome that I never forgot and I can still see it. Did not the Lord Jesus prove that indeed he is the creator of all things when he walked upon the earth? Did he not command the fish in uh, Matthew 17 and 27? Did he not command the fish to provide tax money for him and Peter? Did he not on that journey over the Sea of Galilee and the storm came up and the wind and the waves and the water filled the boat? What did he say? He said, peace. Be still, and they obeyed his voice right away. And what about the demons? They said, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. And right away they obeyed his voice. There was nothing that did not obey his voice when he walked upon the earth. No, not even death. No, nothing could, uh, uh, could resist the authority of his voice. Oh, that we would be like the boy who did not want to grieve his father. There was testimony of a boy. He loved his father, and the father loved him. And one occasion, his friends said, let's go over there to that orchard in the, your neighbor's property and steal some apples. And the boy said, no, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, come on, your father won't scorn you. Your father won't scold you. He said, listen, my father loves me. And I don't want to grieve him. If we could feel toward God, our creator, in that same spirit. He loves us. Why do we want to grieve him? Now, I'd like to speak a little bit about reverence the Lord as our Redeemer. Verses 15 to 18. Blessed is a people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. 
In thy name shall they rejoice all the day. In thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength. And in thy favor our horn shall be exalted. For the Lord is our defense. And the Holy One of Israel is our King. And no one but the redeemed can talk like that. The Old Testament scriptures refer to God's deliverance of his covenant people from Pharaoh's Egyptian bondage at least a hundred times. Think of that. At least a hundred times throughout the scriptures, God calls Israel to attention to how he delivered them from the bondage of Pharaoh's Egypt. Why do you suppose this is recorded so many times? Because the Holy Spirit, who is the author of scriptures, knows the human heart that it is prone to forget. Not only does the human heart so easily forget, but sadly for many of God's people in Israel and the church, the heart is so prone to let the flesh rule over the spirit. Example, Israel had just crossed the Red Sea. They saw the military might of Egypt destroyed in the Red Sea. They were set free from Egyptian bondage. And in less than a month, they ran into some difficulty. And what did they do? They wanted to go back to Egypt with the melons and the leeks and the flesh pots. That's how quickly the heart can turn. And that's true of many Christians today. Oh, it's so good to be a Christian until the tough times come. And then they want to go back into the world. As I said, this is true of many professing Christians. And as soon as there's a little, little, little bit of difficulty, as I just said, the heart goes back to the, to the world, back to the, as a dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after it's cleansed, go back to the, the pen. One thing is sure. If we haven't learned Luke 9, 23, we'll never learn it. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciples, then deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, or you cannot be my disciple. When one looks at the long history of Israel and the long history of the church age, it's a wonder that God saves anybody. Oh, the th that is, we just sang Amazing Grace. Oh, the older I get, the more I'm amazed at his grace. I think all the times that I fail him. And every time I fail him, I grieve. You better believe I grieve. But you see, God knows that there's still sin in us. 1 John 1, 8. But he knows that when we stay close to him, we can have victory over sin. We can be more than conquerors, just like he conquered all the evil, Satan, death, he conquered all the demonic host. We can be more than conquerors. The things that want to do us under because our flesh wants to be uh, uh, entertained. You see, think about this. <clears throat> Israel was delivered from that terrible bondage. For many years, they were servant slaves to uh, the taskmasters. And just think of how many times, uh, it, at least uh, over 100 times, it's recorded how Israel was delivered from these task, 
excuse me, Pharaoh's Egypt. But I want you to please listen to this. Over a hundred times, the cross and things pertaining to the cross is mentioned in Scripture. Why is it mentioned? So that we might remember that we were delivered from a far greater Pharaoh than uh, Pharaoh's Egypt. We were delivered from Pharaoh, the, the great adversary, Satan. Jesus said, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free. And why do we want to go back into bondage? Because he's still the prince of this world. Pardon me. Uh, I would like to share with you about the Lord Jesus. I told you about how he prophesied. He was prophesied in Isaiah 61 1. Behold, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free, to open the prison of them that are bound. And then Luke 4, 18, he fulfilled that. He fulfilled that and because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross and his resurrection, Christ has a power to set his people free and to keep his people free. But sadly, just as the children of Israel so often forsook the freedom and blessing of Yahweh and went back to the world, so often those who have been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ in this church age, so often they want to go back to the world to please the desires of the flesh. That is why sexual sin is so rampant in the church today. Why? Because they no longer fear God or have a reverence for him. Like Israel, all the ways and standards of the world become so attractive to the flesh that unless there is death to the self-life and a surrender to the Lordship of Christ, the great emancipator, the flesh will have its way. And the reverence to our great Redeemer dims and the flesh rules. And when the flesh rules, our relationship to Christ and service for him is perfunctory, without heart. And so is one's worship and one's attitude about worship. How sad to see one who professes Christ bow before the whims and attractions of this culture that hates God, pleasing to the flesh, governs. That is why there is addiction to pornography, which addiction is so rampant in the church today. What happens then? There is a form of godliness, but no power to live a life for Christ or reverence that he so rightly deserves. But take it from an old, old sinner saved by grace. The fear of God and reverence for him will give victory. And I have learned the more I fear my God, the more, uh, and his holiness, the, and his majesty, the more I love him. For a few minutes, let us look at the church in the first century before real persecution set in. Paul's description of the church at Corinth it was carnal, without reverential fear, and treated sin as a powder puff. They would say, we're followers of Paulus, we're followers of Paul, we're followers of Peter. And some even said, well, we're followers of Christ. Can you imagine the human heart? I want you to create sinners saved by grace on the same level as a Savior. 
And then the church is Galatia and Colossae. They were adding to the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, reverence diminishes. The churches in Creek, they professed that they knew God, but in works they denied him, and unto every good work reprobate. The five churches evaluated by the Lord, Ephesus, they left their first love. Pergamos, they were allowed the doctrine of Balaam is what Balaam used to entrench and snare uh, the, the children of Israel there uh, uh, and the plains of Moab. They put these beautiful girls out there in the hinder parts of the, of the gathering of Israel. And what did they, what did the men do? They fell for them. Not only did they have fornication, but then they began to worship their idols. Thyatira, Jezebel, who proclaimed herself to be a prophetess, not only promoted fornication, but to partake of meat offered to idols. And then Sardis, a church so spiritually dead. And what is more sadder than a church that is spiritually dead? Laodicea, they were a lukewarm church. Yes, he said, the guy says, yeah, you think you're rich, but you're naked, you're blind, you're miserable, you're wretched. Repent, he said. And these eight churches, they all fell away short of our text. Real reverence for the Lord did not exist. And it would be good to take a good look at Isaiah 63. And I want to, what I, if you haven't listened to me to before, listen to me now. I want you to take a look at what Isaiah the prophet saw. He saw the Lord enthroned in the temple as king. And the glory of his robe filled the temple. And the seraphim, they, they, they were so struck by his holiness, their wings, they covered their eyes. With their wings, they covered their feet. And with their wings, they flew. And they proclaimed him, holy Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with thy glory. And the effect it had upon the prophet Isaiah said, Woe is me, I'm a man undone. I'm a man with unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. Or the testimony of the three that were eyewitnesses on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, when they saw our Lord transfigured and his face shone like the sun and his clothing were glistening white because that was was inside him came out and in second peter chapter one we were eyewitnesses to his majesty on the sacred mount then picture christ now listen to this what do i now i want you to picture christ naked his face marred more than any man a crown of thorns thrust upon his head, his back shredded, flesh ripped open from scourging, nailed to a Roman cross, where all our ordinances were nailed against upon him. Mocked, scorned, he looked for some to take pity, and there was none. For some, to, for comforters, there was none. Forsaken of man, forsaken of God. 1 Peter 2.24, he bore in his own body our sins. 1 Peter 3.18, he, the just one, suffered for us, the unjust. He suffered for our sins. Why? That he might bring us to God. Galatians 3.13, you who break God's laws under God's curse, but he redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, but God the Father made him God the Son who knew no sin to be made sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Then Hebrew 12.2. Keep your eyes upon the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy it was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty and high where he's building his church. And then we'll see him, as he said last Sunday, we talked about uh, when he comes back in the glory of the Father, with the glory of the Holy Angel. What an awesome sight that will be. Just think, just think of what he suffered for us. Just think of that. Just think of what he suffered for us. Suffered for you, suffered for me. But when he came back again, that was his humiliation. But when he came back, he's coming back in the full authority of who he is. And that's why Emma said, prepare to meet thy God. Then as the apostle Peter wrote in his second epistle, he said, what manner of persons ought the Lord's people to be in lives of holiness and godliness, seeing the king will soon return as a thief in the night and the heavens of the earth to be melted in fervent heat. Only reverence for the king will enable the true believer to a life just described, even though many churches are flying the LGBTQ flag instead of the blood-stained banner of the cross, emblem of the king. Be not discouraged. Be not to think of what our brethren went through during the time of the Reformation, like many are going through now, giving their lives for the gospel's sake. The many that were burned at the stake. Oh, how we need to keep our mind on Matthew 10, 28, 29. Do not fear them who kill the body, but fear him who kills both body and soul in hell. Let us have the same reverence that George Fox, one of the uh, reformers, listen to, listen to this. When he would get up to preach, when he would preach the gospel, he would so shake because of the burden upon his heart to preach this blessed gospel that he would do not make it anything wrong. He would actually shake, and they called him a shaker. You see, we've lost that. We've lost the sense of what God did for us. We've lost the sense of the majesty, the holiness of God. We've lost the sense of what... He humbled himself in his humiliation to bear our sins in his own body upon the accursed tree. We've lost a sense of that. And so what we take with indifference, the Lord's day. And, and when I was in the 1930s, that's when I saw real reverence. I was an unsaved boy, five, six, I go to church with my stepmother and father, but that's when I saw real reverence. It's long gone, long gone, long gone. By the time we get here, our attitude when we come here, it's long gone. Now, if you'll bear with me, the third point, to reverence the Lord as judge. In the in uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says, Let not the rich man glory his riches, 
Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, but let him that glory, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord who delighteth in righteousness, in judgment, in loving kindness. In these things I delight, saith the Lord. What does a judge do? He weighs the evidence, and then he renders a verdict. And each one of us, he's a judge of us. He'll weigh each one of us and see if we're lacking, whether we really have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ or whether we just give them lip service. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean Enduring, enduring forever, the judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm 119, 62. At midnight I will rise to give thee thanks because of thy righteous judgments. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. We live in a time when anarchy seems to rule, like it says in Ecclesiastes 11, because a sentence against an evil deed is not carried out immediately. They're fully set to do evil. And that's what's certainly true in our day. But remember, the wheels of God's justice grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. Psalm 89, 14 says, Righteousness and judgment inhabit his throne. It's good to review his judgments, for God reveals who he is in them. Remove Adam and Eve from the garden of paradise, Yes, they deserve that, but there is the grace and love of God because if they had stayed in, in paradise, they would have eaten of the tree of life and they would live sinners forever, but he put them out so that he could redeem them. Oh, the love of God and the grace of God. His grace is much greater than our sin, which he showed to Adam and Eve and all of us. Then the judgment of the flood. Can we picture that? This whole world being uh, covered with water 15, feet, 15 cubits above the highest mountain, but these are sobering words. When, when Noah and his family entered the ark, the door was shut, and no one could find salvation because the door was shut. And if anyone hears this voice of this old sinner say by grace, today is a day of salvation. One day the, day the door might be shut, and when it's shut, it's eternal judgment. Then the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we know about that judgment. <clears throat> Fire and brimstone came down. But what we forget is that God has left the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah as an example for those who live ungodly and our society acts like it never happened. Even the church forgets that it ever happened. Then the judgment upon Nadab and Haidu, Abihu, when they went to administer with uh, incense, they, they came with strange fire. What did they do? They didn't get it out from the altar. They wanted to do it where it was more convenient. You know why I'm bringing this up? Because many times we do not show reverence when we handle God's word in the worship service or doing things for God because he's mindful. This, was, this shows you how you can't do as you want to do when you handle the holy things of God. Then the judgment, Dathan, Abiram, and Korah. Can you imagine the whole earth opening up and swallowing them? Won't you fear a God like that who can open up the whole earth and swallow them up? 
And then Phineas's rod of judgment against Cosby and the Midianite princes. Can you imagine? God put a plague upon the people because of his men fornicating with the Midianite princesses. And, and, and what does Cosby, uh, one of the leaders of Israel, do? He gets a Midianite princess and goes into his tent in broad daylight and fornicates with her. But Phineas was so enraged that the dishonor brought to his God, they took a javelin and ran them through, and God said, for this man will be a covenant of peace for all his generations. What we've lost because of our reverence to our God, we've lost a sense of being enraged when our God is dishonored. My goodness. How about the Islam? They get so enraged. You better not say anything against uh, 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 the prophet Muhammad or the Quran. And then God's judgment against Achan and Ananias Sapphira. I want to bring this out. Why at the beginning of the nation of Israel was Achan singled out for severe judgment? Why was Ananias and Sapphira at the beginning of the church age uh, uh, singled out for divine judgment. And I want you to listen to this carefully. Have not uh, God's people done worse things than that afterwards? The same way in the, uh, the, uh, the children of Israel, the church age? These are examples of how God looks upon when we willingly disobey him and when we willingly lie to him. I'm sure all of us have been guilty of lying to God. But this is an example. You don't lie to God. Yes, he forgives. But that is an example that he is holy and he will not tolerate the, uh, to treat him as a man. The greatest of all judgment was upon Mount Calvary. Just think of the judgment that was poured out upon Mount Calvary. I mean, just think of that. God, God, as a man like you and I, taking the full judgment of the wrath of God. If that don't melt your heart, what will? And if you listen and read the New Testament account, the Lord Jesus brought scathing indictments against Bethsaida and Chorazin. He said, because they didn't treat him as who he came to represent. They treated him with indifference. And he said, it's going to be more tolerable for tyrant's side in the day. A judgment will be for you. And then Corey's in his base of operations. And that the, the mighty work's done in Corazon. And yet they still rejected him. He said, it's going to be more tolerable for Solomon Gomorrah. In the day of judgment, it will be for you, Solomon Gomorrah. Yes. All these judgments point to the final judgment, which was referred to in the discipleship, our last Lord's day. Matthew 25, 31. The Lord suffered much humiliation, much humiliation, but the day will he come, and maybe soon when he will come in the glory, the glory of the Father and the glory of the holy angels and ten thousands of his saints and the trumpet will sound and all the world will hear the sound of the trumpet. And that's the reason of 2 Peter 1.10. Make your calling and election sure. The only way, the only way is to own Christ as the Lord of your life. 
Let me repeat. The only way to be sure you're going to welcome him and he's going to welcome you is to make him Lord of your life. I can't say that enough. Martin Luther, he was afraid of nothing, but he was afraid of this. When he stood behind the pulpit, his knees would shock, uh, just shake, knock together time. Why? Because he was afraid he would misrepresent God to the people. As the Lord was nearing the end of his sermon in Matthew 7, 3, 5, 6, and 7, he made some very sobering statements. And this is part of my application. Bear with me. Listen to these words. Matthew 7, 13, 14. He said, enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many, many there are that follow. But when you enter in the straight gate, yes, it's hard. It's narrow, but it leads to life. Then verse 16, chapter 7, verse 16 says, he reminds us that God does not judge us by what we say, but by our fruits. We can mouth a good uh, uh, gospel talk, but what about our life? What does it represent? Are we bearing fruits of one who has the spirit of the living Christ? And then Matthew 7, 21, 23, reveals why to reverence the king is so important. Listen to these words. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. But only those who do the will of the Father. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, I prophesied for you. I cast out demons. I've done many good works. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And why does he say that? Because they never surrendered themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They would never come under his authority. And the Lord will save no one who will not come under his authority. And you better hear me clear in that. He will save no one that will not come under his authority. And in verse 24, 27. Only those who reverence the king will build their lives on a solid foundation. For Jesus said, He that heareth my words and doeth them will be like a man who built his house upon a, a solid rock. Yes, the winds come, the rain come down, the storm comes, the wind blows, but his house stood because it was built upon a solid foundation. But those who do hear my words and don't do them be like a man who built his house upon the sand. Yes, when the winds come, the rains come down, the house will not stand because it's built upon the sand. Unless we build our life upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his word, that's what that represents. Then we will have victory. As the theme of our message has been that of reverence to the Lord, that it's worthy of his majesty and holiness and his deity, just a few questions. A few questions. Who reigns as the head of your home? And I apply that to singles as well as to married with children. Who reigns? Who is the head of your home? How would the Lord rate your reverence to him as pertaining to the Lord's day? Which includes your attitude about worship, preparation for worship, which begins at home, 
the time you arrive at the church, the presence of the Lord is already here. Matthew 18, uh, 20, he's already here. And so your reverence of him will show you what time he comes. Then there is the spirit which you worship, uh, the spirit which you give to the Lord. All I just mentioned was show your reverence for the Lord on the most important day of the week. We show our reverence for the Lord or lack thereof as instructed in Colossians 3.17. Whatsoever you do, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. The reverence shown to the Lord includes every area of life. For we have been bought with a price. Our question, our second point, had to do with giving the Lord the reverence as your Redeemer. But before you can give the Lord reverence as your Redeemer, you first have to know him as your Redeemer. Do you know him in a very personal way? Do you love him? Is he Lord of your life? That's the only way. That's the only way you can reverence him. You have to know him first. I'd like to... I'm just about done. You've been very patient with this old man. I'd like to uh, talk about Malachi 3, 16. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often with one another, and the Lord heard it. And a book of remembrance was written about them, of those who feared the Lord. Remember Second Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. They who honor the Lord, the Lord will honor. Just like he honored Mary who anointed him before his burial. And then these three verses. The verses 14, 20, Matthew, uh, Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. The second, Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. His children shall have a place of refuge. And the third, and I love this, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and they that have of it shall be satisfied and shall not be visited with evil. Satisfied. Jesus exactly satisfies us sinners. Oh, praise his wonderful name. Oh, in these last days where many hearts are being turned away, let us draw closer to the Lord. Just think, won't it be so wonderful to meet him and have him, say, have him welcome us because we loved him, because we feared him, because we served him, not because we're afraid, but we serve him because we love him. Oh, let our hearts be aflame this coming year for him. He is worthy. Almighty, eternal God, have your way in each one of our hearts. Oh, may we more and more in this coming year reflect, oh, reflect the beauty of thy well-beloved Son. We believe, our Father, that we've lost influence with the unsaved because they don't see Jesus in us, the hope of glory. But oh, may our hearts be warmed anew. May they kindle anew by the fire of thy love. And may we do go forth in 2022 with the love of God, the reverence to our God, 
the joy of serving the Lord to bring God glory in his wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we sing one last time. Tony, can I ask you to kill the lights, please? Thank you. John 16, we read Jesus where he says, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world.